But uh, with everything that has transpired in the last 12 months, I have just become increasingly convinced in my spirit that there is a, a season of renewal coming to the church. And the reason that we can trust in this, the reason that I have faith that this is coming is because God himself is faithful to his promises. And so we're going to be diving into a passage uh, of scripture this morning where we can see an example of God coming through for his people, God restoring a community that is on edge and in need of restoration. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 26? We're going to be looking from verses 17 to 26 or 25, I should say. And just to set the scene a bit, we're reading the story of Isaac, who is in the land of the Philistines. The land is in famine at the moment. And you see, Isaac wasn't supposed to stay in the land. The Bible says he had settled there when God had intended only for him to be there for a time. And he had a difficult relationship with the Philistines. First of all, the Bible says uh, earlier on in the chapter that when Isaac was there, his wealth increased 100-fold. That is an incredible amount. If you were on an average income, just think if that increased 100, all of a sudden the people around you would be asking questions. And so the Philistines envied Isaac. And then there was the issue of Isaac's relationship with the king of the Philistines. You see, earlier on in the chapter, it says that Isaac pretended, for whatever reason, that his wife, Rebecca, was actually his sister. You can probably guess how that backfired on him. Uh, the, the message paraphrase actually says that the king spotted Isaac fondling his wife. So he's also getting up to mischief in, in public. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he hasn't started off well. And so the king of the Philistines says, Isaac, it's, it's time for you to go. And we're going to read from, from verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, Abraham, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. And so he named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. I just want to pause there for a moment because on the face of it, it seems like Isaac was a pretty capable guy who probably could have sorted this out himself. But why did he go off and, and dig wells? And just a reminder that the land at this time is, is in famine. Isaac is in the desert. And so as he's kicked out, he's confronted with this problem, a problem we can probably relate to in Australia, and that is that there's no water. And you see, water back then was life. If you did not have a water source, you would die. It's, it's the same today. God has made us that way. It's a part of his, his providence in our lives that we depend on water to sustain us, and he gives us water. But you see, Isaac didn't just have himself to worry about. This isn't the story just of Isaac's restoration. This is the story of the restoration of a whole community. From what we know about Isaac's wealth, from what we know about his family, he probably had at least 
100 people traveling in his family group, not including his livestock, not including uh, all, all of his, his army, his, his workers. There was probably hundreds of people traveling with him. And so when the king threw him out of the land, it wasn't like he could just pack everyone up in the Tarago and go to Bateman's Bay and see what was there next. No, this was a logistical problem. This was a matter of life and death. What was he going to do? Isaac needed water. Whether you look at Isaac's situation in, in relational terms, you know, he had a falling out with the Philistines and with the king. Whether you look at it in economic terms, there was uh, financial uh, inequity, financial um, disparity between himself and the Philippines, uh, Philippines, not the Philippines, they're not in this story, the Philistines, <laughs> that was causing envy, that was causing strife. Whether you look at this in existential terms, whether Isaac and his community could even survive, Isaac was in serious trouble. And so verse 18 says, he began to rebuild the wells that had been dug in the times of Abraham, wells that the Philistines had filled in. My first point is that true restoration demands a faith response. And true restoration comes at a cost. You see, it demands a faith response. Isaac could have just waited there and said, God, provide for me, get me out of this mess. But he actually went and began to redig the wells. I think there's something in that. It comes at a cost as well. You know, we talk about restoring a building, a restoration pro project, maybe for a cabinet. There is a cost involved. You actually need to invest something for the restoration to occur. And when we talk about building wells, wells aren't easy. You don't just grab your shovel and away you go. No, you need to survey the land. You need to make sure that you're building in the right place. There's significant physical labor involved. You need to excavate the well. But I think there's something significant in the way that Isaac chose first to go back to his father's old wells. You see, I wonder whether in doing this, he was recalling the faithfulness that God had shown uh, Isaac and his family in times gone by. And he was actually using this to stir courage in his soul to step out for what was before him. Into a land of dryness, he went, but he went knowing that God had provided for him previously. And I think there's an application for us here in our spiritual lives when we think about redigging these wells. You know, the spiritual disciplines that sustained previous generations, the spiritual disciplines that resulted in, in renewal and transformation and new life in the church, they are the same disciplines that we have access to today so that we can be rebuilding wells of generosity, wells of sacrificial love, wells of faith in our lives. And sometimes it's a matter of encouraging ourselves by going back to what we have seen and know God is already able to do in our lives. And so it might just be a matter of going back to the basics. Is it time for us to be redigging wells? You know, wells of uh, consistent devotional lives, wells of being embedded in a faith community like many of us here are today, you might be watching online and, and have good reasons for, for being online. Maybe you're away or, or, or not in Canberra at the time, but for some people, it's just time to get back into church. Wells of prioritizing prayer and praise in our lives. You see, I wonder whether, like Isaac, we have dug our own wells. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the water tank that you got installed in your, your new six-star energy rating home. I'm talking about the things in our lives that, that give us meaning, the things that we, we draw life and, and purpose and meaning from. All of us have wells of commitment, 
where we find our relationships. Some of these wells are, are deeper than others and some of them have run dry. All of us have wells of, of meaning, the things that, that light us up, the things that wake us up in the morning. All of us have wells of freedom. And sometimes we so closely guard our freedom that we're unwilling to, to tap into any of the other wells and we're, we're leading an imbalanced life. And then there are things that contaminate our wells, like envy, selfishness, pride. And sometimes we're sipping from contaminated wells and we don't even realize we've become so self-focused when we, and, and we begin uh, to not draw from the wells uh, of peace and of sacrificial love and of uh, joy that God intends us to be drinking from. And the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, touched upon something very similar in Jeremiah 2.13, when he said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know, when we're relying on our own strength, when we are trying to force our own outcomes without trusting in God along the way, it is, is as if we have dug our own wells. It is as if we have uh, put together systems that cannot hold water, cannot hold the promises of God, that cannot contain it. And so my second point is that true restoration requires that we drink from the right wells. You see, Isaac's wells kept getting taken away from him. We read in verse 19 and 20, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Now, this word Esek is important. It's a Hebrew word and translated into English, it has the meaning of contention, of quarrel, of strife, disputing. And for Isaac, even though he had struck water, even though he had found a source that could sustain him, he knew he couldn't stay there because his people were in dispute. His people were in strife. He was living in contention. And I think sometimes we, we find a source that can sustain us, but we're actually living in contention. We're actually uh, not, uh, not living the life that God wanted, but instead acclimatizing to the environment around us and, and adapting to the culture. And it's actually depleting us and taking away from our faith rather than strengthening us. And so sometimes we need to recognize when we're in a particular environment, whether that environment whether it be a workplace, whether it be a group of friends, whether it be an app on our phone or whether it just be a, an attitude thing, whether that is healthy for us or whether it is a contaminated well that we need to move away from, whether there is a sec in our lives. But then in verse 21, it says, then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. And so he named it Sitna. Now Sitna translated from Hebrew means hatred, enmity, accusation. And interestingly, from the Hebrew, it, it is the same Hebrew word that we get in English, Satan. And so Satan was here. And Isaac, by this stage, would have been getting desperate. You know, he had made all the effort to build a first well to no avail. He had come to build a second well, and he was overcome with Sitna. He would have been getting desperate, and his people around him would have been wondering, what is going on? When is God going to deliver us? And it is this it's as if God was testing Isaac at this stage. Do you have the faith to trust me and move on? This is never where I intended for you to be. You settled here, but I want you to move on. I want you to look forward to the things that I've called you to do. Isaac could have 
forced a result. He could have found a way to make it happen. But instead he decided, I need to hunger and thirst for what God has next, the righteousness that he has in store, rather than dwelling in a place of Sidna. And when it's so easy to acclimatize, when it's so easy to, to live comfy lives, maybe it's time for us to take a stand and move away from the Sidna that is in our lives. This might be a person that, that you cannot actually move away from. <laughs> and so I'm not suggesting that we need to necessarily physically remove ourselves away from every situation, but maybe it's a perspective that you've got going on in your life and you need to move away from that perspective, move away from the Sidma and the, the bitterness into what God is calling you. And so my third point is that God's restoration is less about bringing you to where you were previously and more about taking you someplace new. God's restoration is restoration with progress. It is restoration with purpose. Verse 23 says, Isaac moved on from there. He moved on and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Now, Rehoboth is a good word. It carries the meaning of expansiveness, of, of roominess. But the interesting thing is that the, the blessing that Isaac here received, the, the, the room that he stepped into, didn't come until he actually removed himself from the sitna, until he actually removed himself from the essek, until he dealt with these things in his lives. And sometimes we need the courage to be able to actually step out of those before we're ready to step into the restoration that God wants us to receive. You see, God could have fixed everything at the first well. He could have fixed everything at the second well. But an act of faith had to take place. Restoration requires a faith response. And there was a purpose, therefore, in Isaac's restoration, in his moving on. And I believe that uh, God also has a purpose for us in restoring us. And sometimes we can't see what that is. And God is saying, you don't have to have it all figured out right now. It's okay. Trust me. Keep taking steps forward. Don't get stuck in the rut of Sitna or Essek. I will move you into a place of Rehoboth. And this could have been the end of the story. It sounds like a good conclusion. Uh, Isaac has stepped into a new place, but the Bible doesn't actually say there was any water in the well that he had dug there at Rehoboth. And I think at this point, Isaac began to, to understand that he wasn't actually supposed to settle in the land. He was to sojourn there, that God actually wanted to do something even bigger than Rehoboth. Verse 23 says, from there, Isaac went up to Beersheba, where in fact he built another well. He's, he's really into building wells. And in verse 24, it says that night in Beersheba, the Lord appeared to him. Now, earlier on, I mentioned that uh, Isaac had a relational problem with the Philistines. Isaac had an economic problem. Isaac had an existential problem where his very uh, survival was in question. He also had a spiritual problem in that he had not been obedient and moved on uh, in the land that God had asked him to do. And it wasn't until Isaac took the courage to step out of Rehoboth that he experienced his full restoration. You see, 
I wonder if for most of us, we're actually stuck in Rehoboth. We're actually stuck in the good place. We're stuck in a place of expansiveness. We're stuck in a, a place of roominess where it's, it's comfortable and we can go about our lives. We've got access to everything we need. It's safe, it's secure. No one is quarreling. And so we just kind of want to park ourselves there. But that might not be the full restoration that God intends. You see, in Beersheba, Isaac experienced restoration relationally with the Philistines. It says the king there swore an oath with him. The very word Beersheba means well of the oath. In Beersheba, Isaac experienced a spiritual restoration. We read uh, later on in the chapter that God reaffirmed his promises, the, the covenant blessing that he gave to Abraham. He reaffirmed to Isaac there saying, I will make you into a great nation and that you will surely bless the nations around you. So there's a spiritual restoration and then there was the existential restoration that came forth too, where it says from the well that Isaac dug there in Beersheba, water began to spring forth. God provided life for the community, not just Isaac, but for a whole community to flourish. You see, when a well is built, it doesn't just become uh, like another tap in the house. This was the very place that the whole community could then organize itself around. And so I want to encourage you to keep moving towards the complete restoration. If there are things in our lives that haven't been settled yet, whether relationships, whether it's a, a, a promise that we've been holding on to that we haven't seen God bring to fruition yet, but we're trusting to keep trusting, but begin putting steps underneath to take us to that place because there is purpose in the restoration that God wants us to experience. While Isaac experienced a kind of restoration, the Bible actually talks about a deeper, more complete kind of restoration, which we are to, to seek after, and that is called salvation. Salvation is a restoration that is, is everlasting. It is ongoing. It is permanent. It is when we are put in right relationship with God, the very God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It is something that we have no right to do of our own accord. Salvation is a restoration that can't be undone by uh, bad decisions, can't be undone by uh, sickness or pain or even death. It is bigger than that. And earlier I mentioned that restoration comes at a cost. You see, the beauty of salvation is that it is a restoration where the cost has already been paid for. Salvation is a restoration, the cost of which is so great that None of us, neither me nor anyone out here listening, could achieve through our own good intentions. It's something that only God could achieve and which was achieved on the cross, which has been done. You see, God so loved us. God so loved his creation. God so loved me. God so loved you that he allowed his own son, his beloved son, Jesus, to experience the contention to experience the strife, to experience the hatred, the enmity, the bitterness of Esek and of Sidna so that we wouldn't have to, so that we instead could drink from the well of salvation. The well of salvation is a well that gives life. It's a well that sustains us, that nourishes us, not only from our bodies, but from our souls. It is a well that is everlasting, that gives us meaning, that gives us purpose in our lives, no matter how much contention we might be facing. It is a well that as we receive it, gives us the faith 
gives us the energy, gives us the, the understanding to be able to step forth, believing that even through whatever it is we are facing, God's restoration that he intends for us to receive will be eternal. And the Bible says that if we become followers of Jesus, declaring with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that then we will be saved. Then we will step into this salvation. We will drink from uh, the well that gives true life, that gives true meaning, ultimate purpose, ultimate freedom. 